Welcome to episode 109 of the Autism Outreach Podcast, and I am your host, Rose Griffin. You are in for a treat today. I had an amazing conversation with Lynn Dudak. Lynn Dudak is one of 12 SLP BCBAs here in Ohio, which is my home state. And we talk all about SLP BCBA collaboration. Lynn is a wealth of information. She has worked in the field for 30 years, and she is the owner of ASD SLP LLC and director of clinical operations with Empower Behavioral Health and Intervention. We talk all about the history of the field and speech therapy and ABA working together. But what I think is such a great takeaway from this episode is almost a case study of a speech therapist and a BCBA working together to help a student with verbal imitation targets. This can be a touchy subject between speech therapists and BCBAs. So if you're listening and you've been in a situation like this, we talk all about positive collaboration and strategies for that going forward. I'm so excited for this episode. Let's dig on in. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks so much for joining us on episode 109. We have a great episode today. We have with us Lynn Dudek. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. This is going to be great. So Lynn lives in my state of Ohio, and we keep presenting at the same conferences and we're in the same Facebook groups. And I'm like, how have I not met you yet? So I'm excited for you to come on and, uh, and share your journey with us because I'm excited to learn about how you got into the field and all that great stuff. So thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for doing this. I I love this idea of outreach and connecting with as many SLPs and SLP BCBAs as possible. So thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, thank you for that. And so for those of us that don't know you and your work, can you tell us a little bit about you and just your journey into the field? Absolutely. So I pretty much stumbled into this field of, of being a BCBA. Um, I have been a speech language pathologist for 30 years, knew that's what I wanted to do from very early on, end of high school, into college. It just felt so comfortable. Um, but all through college and even after college, first job, I was going to specialize in craniofacial anomalies. I, I had the great fortune of being mentored by Harvey Grandstaff and Michelle Kummer down at Cincinnati Children's. And that's what I was going to do. We moved to Columbus. I get a job up here and was going to have the opportunity to be part of the cleft palate team um, at the hospital here in Cincinnati or in Columbus. But they were just getting that going. So I started seeing outpatient kids and all of a sudden, all these kids with this different presentation started started being in my office. And I started working with the psychologist and we're trading off patients. 
And all of a sudden, every other kid who comes in has this diagnosis of autism. And so I'm like, mm, I better figure out what to do with these kids. 1995, I go to this great conference in New Orleans. And this was back when, you know, the pioneers in our field were still presenting. So I was able to hear Ivar Lovas. I was able to hear Gary Messabop. Now I'm more intrigued. About a year and a half, two years after that, um, I had an interaction that changed my professional life forever and for the better and so profoundly. I was seeing a kiddo and his mom said, hey, I've got funding for my team to attend the conf a conference in Cincinnati. Would you like to come? Sure. What's the conference? It's on this thing called verbal behavior. I really don't know anything about it, but it's got verbal in it. So I thought I'd ask you as my child's SLP. Okay. So go down and of course it's Carbone and McGreevy presenting. Wow. I'm hanging out with the parents who sponsored this conference. It's a multi-day conference. Fantastic. I am, I am so enthralled and just literally eating up everything that is being presented. At the end of the first night, one of the dads who was part of this group that sponsored the presentation said, my wife has a migraine and can't come to dinner tonight. Do you want to be my date? Sure. So we go to dinner and Carbone is sitting on my left and McGreevy is sitting across the table from me and to my right. And for the next three hours, I had the most intriguing and informative and wonderful conversation with Vince Carbone, he was picking my brain in all ways of how can we get more SLPs to, to espouse verbal behavior and be, be involved in the behavior world and literally changed my career right there in its tracks. And that's so a, that's amazing. It, it, yeah. it, was, it was amazing. Amazing. So I love Vince Carbone. He's right. I'm a big, big fan favorite. And Tell me, though, because I heard him talk two days down in Austin, Texas. So my supervisor was Kelly Rich, who owns okay. Central Texas Autism Center. And her BCBA supervisor was Dr. Carbone. So I was very, yeah, it's a very small world. And Tamara Casper, I believe, I think her supervisor was Dr. Carbone as well. So my supervisor I think so. and Tamara they are friends, so that's fun. And but now, tell me the connection with uh, Patrick McGreevy because I know him from his work. Now, is that the same person that made the essential for living? And what did yes. they? So did they? They had a collaboration at one point where they were presenting together for years. For I want to say about ten years, they traveled the country and presented together on verbal behavior. Um, expanding on Sunberg and Partington. And it was, they were like Martin and Lewis. They just, they were the best presenters. And I've seen them, I saw them multiple times together. I've seen them both now separately. And um, yeah, and now McGreevy 
is doing all things essentials for living. And so I look back and I think I, I had the most awesome opportunity to learn from these people mm-hmm. and Never did do a thing with craniofacial anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. This is kind of like coming up with your dream ABA dinner party. And it this really would was. be some of the definite big players. I actually did email Jim Partington, who Dr. Partington, who came up with the AFOLs. That's an instrument that I used a lot with my older students. And so uh, I'm trying to get him on the podcast. So I'm hoping in 2023 that that will happen. But he wrote me back right away. So that's very exciting. But wow, what an amazing group. So did you decide then that you wanted to become a BCBA? And what was the state of the certification at that time? So even... During that conversation at that, at that time, I still didn't know. I didn't know BCBA was a thing. Um, so I came home and started digging in, and my practice of speech pathology became more and more informed, utilizing the principles of, of a, not knowing they were the principles of applied behavioral analysis, but utilizing those principles. Um, a few years later, I switched jobs and the initiative of that company was to grow BCBAs. And because I came in with now a decade plus of autism specific experience, they were like, you're going to be our first guinea pig. So my entire program was paid for. Ooh, yeah, that's I'm nice. I had to pay for my supervision out of pocket. It was a very dark, it was a very dark time financially for me, but, but it was worth it because I didn't take a loan out, but it's hard. Okay. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. So then where did you take your coursework at or how did, how did that all work? So because I had a master's and I could apply to just do the coursework and then, you know, do all the clinical hours and that sort of thing. Um, I did my coursework at uh, University of Massachusetts Lowell Mm. and all online Mm -hmm. and great program. Absolutely great program. I learned such a tremendous amount and started my, started gaining my clinical hours immediately where I did work, I was able to hang out with folks like Patricia Wright. So I'm just, each step in my career, I have been so fortunate to be surrounded by incredibly smart, skilled, dedicated professionals. And I just suck all the knowledge from them that I possibly can. I love that. Yes, I feel the same way. I had the opportunity to hear Dr. Carbone talk. I lived in Austin, Texas for three years, and I was an autism facilitator. It was an administrative mm-hmm. role. It was a very cool position in this very large school district down there called Leander ISD. And okay. I got to hear Dr. Carbone talk. I went to hear Dr. Iwata talk. I got to hear Tamara Casper do her all-day talk. And I just remember... Being very in awe of all of these people thinking, yes, I'm sure we were thinking similar things because when I heard Dr. Carbone do his two-day talk, and I don't know, I'm sure you have this huge 
packet and manual that he it was like wire bound and all these resources you're shaking oh, your yes. yes um i was just in awe of all that information and for me in my brain it made so much sense to put together speech therapy and aba to help our students and and even another layer for me was when i moved down to austin i remember them saying they use verbal behavior in this school district. And so I read Mary Barbera's book called The Verbal Behavior Approach, which now she is a friend and mentor of mine. And Lovely. it just all really brought it together. And I thought to myself, this is where it's at. I mean, there's a lot of speech therapists that feel that way. And there's a lot that don't. But I think we probably had a lot of the same thoughts when we were around these people. It's just really a cool thing to be able to help your clients in such a specific way, I think. I I couldn't agree more. And I I think, and maybe you had a similar experience. When you already have these seeds of, I think this is the way to go. Clinically, this is where I want my practice to grow and I want the information that I use to incorporate these thoughts. And then you get exposure from the folks who know what this is and the research and the science. And so there's this component of, okay, I know I'm getting good information, but then I'm really excited about this and excited to be interacting with them that you can't help but be energized by that because let's face it, treating kids on the spectrum all day is tough. Mm -hmm. And so to, to know that what you're doing is grounded in science and is beneficial and capitalizes on our kids' strengths. And I, I say kids, but whether they're two or they're 42, capitalize on those individual strengths and build those skills that they need is so fulfilling. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. So then when you were in this position, I love that your employer was funding this. This is so amazing. So you then did your coursework, had a supervisor, took your test, and then did your position change? Were you treating clinically or were you building the department of BCBAs or what did that look like um, at that time? I was doing both. I was um, really focusing on social skills with um, the 13 to 17 age group with boys. Um, my The boys, those boys I started with when they were like three and four, mm -hmm. they followed me and they're now all in their late 20s. And it is astounding to me how amazingly successful they are. Um, I then changed jobs again and um, was working for the state um, in the state of Ohio, as you know, we have Ocali. Mm -hmm. And so I came on to Ocali right as their program of going all around the state and training teams in school districts started. So again, I had the great good fortune to hang out with some amazing people, Peter Gerhardt and Carrie Dunbaran, just hanging out and learning stuff. And then going around the state and treating all these folks or uh, training all these folks in good, sound, evidence-based practice. Mm. And 
being able to use my BCBA background and my behavior knowledge to to impart that, you know what, there is a way that SLPs and BCBAs and other professions really can collaborate for best outcomes of whoever you're serving. Oh, that's so fun to be able to go around the state. I'm doing more because I stepped away from my public school position in May. So now I have more time and I've been doing in-person trainings here in Ohio in local districts or through, you know, doing them for the ESCs. And it's been really Mm -hmm. fun to connect with people here locally because they get all my my jokes and my local, you know, I went to Akron U, I got my master's at Kent. They understand some of the things I talk about where if I'm on Instagram and TikTok, you know, I don't really think I want to tell everybody where I'm living. You know, it's a different, um, it's a different feeling. So it's nice to connect with people in real life locally. That must've been a really cool experience. And Peter Gerhardt, I just love Peter Gerhardt. He's actually on my list too, to get on the podcast. I have heard him speak Actually, when I worked at the Learner's School, which is part of the Cleveland Clinic, so I was there okay. for three years, I heard he was friends with my director at the time, and he came in, he talked to us in the in a classroom. There were like 10 of us, and it was amazing. And then I actually heard him keynote O'Cali. He did this really yep. amazing keynote one year. You were probably there. It was amazing. And... I heard him speak at Milestones. I'm a big fan of Peter Gerhardt. I just think he shoots from the hip and he cares about autistic people so much. And you can see that. And usually he was on this thing where he was talking about working with older learners. I don't know if that's still his jam and what he talks about, but he is just such a wealth of information. I always use his name if people want more information about adults and just that type of population. So how neat for you to be kind of hobnobbing and working along and disseminating with all of these really great people that must have been so great to learn from from these people in the field. Again, it's it's just sucking up every bit of knowledge and taking advantage of every conversation that that I'm part of and just listening, listening to the experience, listening to their knowledge is just was so much fun. And I am forever grateful for all of those experiences because there there was a little period of time there where I was, I was changing jobs pretty often because it's like, okay, maybe I don't, you know, I want to take a break from, from patient care for a while. Ooh, I really miss patient care. So <laughs> I, I I hopped there for a little bit, which then landed me in a spot where I got to basically create my own therapy department within an agency that serves children with autism. So all of their education needs were served. And being from Ohio, you're familiar with the autism scholarship. Mm-hmm. So these were autism scholarship programs that didn't have the supportive services like OT, like speech. Hmm. Um, So being able to create those and, and bring in, you know what? I, I get what you guys are doing. I, I get why this is structured this way and what you're doing and behavior intervention plans. Cause guess what? I, I can do that too. And it has been an amazing opportunity to, be with these families and be with these kids. And now while my role is almost exclusively administrative, I have had the opportunity to mentor and train and work with 
some of the most amazing, loveliest SLPs and OTs ever to practice. And that I think that's, that's what I want my legacy to be because I'm closer to retirement now than I am to the start of my career. And, and that's what I want to do. I, I want this, you know, next generation of therapists to know what they're capable of. That's amazing that you are working in a place. I love that. And I think here in Ohio, I feel like we have a lot of ABA providers who have speech therapists on staff or yes. speech therapists that are independent contractors. And what I have found just, I'm licensed in Washington State and Oregon. So I do some SLPA supervision in those two states with ABA clinics who provide speech therapy services. So I have really enjoyed that work. But what I have feel like is that a, most ABA providers don't employ speech therapists. I don't know if you have found that to be the case because here in Ohio, at least where I live in Cleveland, I have a very different viewpoint because a lot of the ABA providers do offer speech therapy services. And I am finding that other places really don't operate in that way. Have you found that to be true or what are your thoughts on that? Um, I have. So my very first job, literally my very first job, I'm interviewing and the director of the department is, oh, you want the job, the job's yours, but now let's be honest. What diagnosis do you not want to see come across your desk for a referral? And I said, oh, psh, that's easy. Autism. I don't know anything about it. I don't want to know anything about it. And her response to me was, that's totally fine. Don't worry about it. SLPs don't do anything with autism. It's all the psychologists. Now, this was also 1992. Hmm. So oh, wow. bear that yeah. in mind. Okay. So I really think at that point, God kind of chuckled in heaven and said, yeah, we're going to give you all the autism all the time. <laughs> right. But the, the evolution of comprehensive services and collaborative services in the state of Ohio has under, undergone such a significant transformation from the early 90s until today. Because I really do think, and, and my experience has been that, yeah, SLPs, we didn't do a whole lot with autism. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the psychologist, that was the behaviorist. And now we are an integral part of the team. And, and I know that they're I mean, all you have to do is read any social media, read anything where BCBAs and SLPs are in the same environment. And it is not an easy relationship. It is not an easy collaboration. I have not had that experience. And I don't know if I've been very, very lucky because the folks that I've worked with have been so collaborative um, or do you know when we walk in the room and we've got both of those credentials do we do we have a little extra foot in i don't know what that is or why that is but i'm very grateful for it mm -hmm. but the thing that worries me the most about our field um, and ongoing treatment of individuals with autism is the just the absolute attacks on practitioners of behavior analytic services and the difficulties in collaborating between SLPs and BCBAs. 
Yeah, same. It feels very, very heavy for somebody. I talk about social media a lot because honestly, it's how I've built my entire business the past five years to the point where I can do this full time. But I spend a lot of time on social media. So I know you're on Facebook, but I'm also on Instagram and YouTube and TikTok. And it's really hard, that collaboration piece. And I am feeling just kind of sad about the field of speech therapy that it's so... I would say most speech therapists, I guess it depends on your region, but I guess I feel like a lot of speech therapists are either hesitant about ABA or have maybe a bad taste in their mouth because of a BCBA they met or one experience, or maybe they are just reading things online. But I think it's really sad because I feel like in 10 years, there are going to be a lot of parents and maybe a lot of providers that might feel remorseful for being so negative against ABA because it really does help clients, I know, find their voice because that's my whole life's work. And it really just helps people become more independent in their environment. And so that is very sad. I definitely see that rift in our field. Um, So, you know, that's one of the questions I was going to say, what are some of the challenges though? But do do you think there's any specific challenges that you've seen, even from people that are more collaborative in spirit? Because it sounds like our experiences are probably pretty similar where I too have had positions where it is easier for me to collaborate with a BCBA because I'm a BCBA. And usually when I was in the work situations, I was operating sometimes as a speech therapist, sometimes as a BCBA, but it's easier for me because I'm duly certified. But what are some of the challenges or what's one challenge that you see happening between SLPs and BCBAs when there is a collaborative nature, when people do want to collaborate? What is something that you see kind of on the ground level as still being something that we should work on? That is such a good question. Um, I really think that the the overwhelming challenge is understanding what the other one does. You know, we've got the. I, I just did a presentation on it was it was uh, it was for uh, school based SLPs here in Ohio um, called Autism is Hard Enough, and now you want me to work with a BCBA. Yeah, and. I, I went into the, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, but I've heard people say that they've said that, you know, like on social media, you know, how am I supposed to work with this BCBA? So the, the entire focus of my presentation was, you know, what we for, refer to those BCBAs as them. They do this, they do that. Do we really know what they do? Mm-hmm. And in turn, do they know what we do? Right. There are excellent practitioners as BCBAs, and then there are those who are not so great. There are amazing practitioners as speech pathologists, and there are those that not so much. So we need to understand that, and we need to understand what each field does and can do. And I talk about, you know, a scope of practice and a scope of competence. And those two things are so very different. And making sure that SLPs understand that and making sure that BCBAs understand that. The the best thing that ever happened in collaborating with the BCBA, she was writing a, a, a whole program for a kiddo who was three and was working on echoics and had a whole s- series of phonemic echoics. And she happened to hand it to me and say, and said, you know, what do you think? 
And I said, well, I think I want you to cross off everything from this line down. And it was your SHs and your CHs. And, and she said, well, why? And I said, well, let's pull out his, his speech and language evaluation. Do you see how none of these sounds are in place yet? He's not stimulable for those sounds. Mm-hmm. They are not developmentally appropriate. It's okay that he's not. So we're not going to frustrate him by requiring him to try and imitate you. And we're not going to blow up your data because you're not going to, you're not going to see any success right now. So I, I talked to her about developmental levels and she revised that. It was the best interaction and we worked together for about six years. From that point on, every BCBA she mentored, every person she ever trained, she's like, we have to have a conversation about developmental appropriateness. And so that's the kind of stuff that we need to do. That That's such a real life example of mm-hmm. just have a conversation. Right. Just yeah. talk to one another. Yeah, I, I think that's a great in a coex and you know verbal imitation. If if you're not as familiar with ABA terms, is I actually did a whole presentation for a clinic about how we can collaboratively work on a coex, and I do think that BCBAs come off at times as overly confident. And so sometimes for a speech therapist who doesn't know what an echoic means or doesn't know what a tact is, it can, you feel really defensive if you don't understand. And so I can understand their hesitancy with bringing up some of these conversations, but I have had good experiences with that too, about how to help support ABA teams in working with echoics and verbal imitation. And I would usually pick the targets and then I would work on them. And then once they had met criterion, then RBTs and other staff would then work on them in maintenance and things like that. But I think sometimes these are hard conversations for speech language pathologists to have. I do a lot of mentoring for SLPs who work in an ABA setting because I think working in an ABA setting is so very different than your run-of-the-mill speech therapy job. It just is a whole different level of culture and what's being worked on. And so I really love that mentorship that I do with speech therapists who are excited about learning about the science and do see the transformative power that the science has, but just have questions about how to operate as a speech therapist. I think sometimes it's just hard for them to navigate those types of conversations, which is such an important one that you had. And then look, going forward, that person really understood what does a speech therapist do? And I've done talks about that too. This is how you become a BCBA. We actually just did a show about that. And this is how you become... I haven't done one about speech therapy. Maybe I need to do that. This is how you become a speech therapist. And you take a whole class on transcribing and you don't even want to know what we had to go through (laughs) listening to language samples, (laughs) right? I mean, torture and the little marks and the sweating thinking about that. I still have that book, but it's a lot of information. And so that's why it is so nice. It's nice to hear these success stories. And obviously I share a lot of this on the podcast because when we work together, we can just do such amazing things, not only for the child, but for the professionals that are on the team. What a powerful exchange that was for both of you. That's I 
So if you ask anybody that I work with, I use lots of little phrases. I, I, I like analogies. I like phrases. And, and one of my big go-tos is I want to see you. If you succeed, I succeed. And if we both succeed, then that little one has nothing to do but succeed. Yeah. You have to be confident in your skills and your knowledge and who you are as a professional to then engage in what might be a difficult or a an uncomfortable conversation with a colleague. But if you approach it from the standpoint of you and I are not the focus here. That person we serve is the focus. Mm -hmm. So let's figure out how to keep that person at the center of our conversation. Then you can't help but want to do what's best for them. And I did, I, it was, it was amazing to me in my audience because I spent a good deal of time talking about what you have to do to become a BCBA. Mm-hmm. Had no idea that you had to get 1500 or you know, 2000 <laughs> clinical hours. Wait, what? Yeah. So, you know, while, while we're in speech school and we're getting all of our assessment and our treatment hours, the, those working towards the BCBA credential, they're doing the same thing. Yeah. And then demystifying the terms, you know, they're second nature to us, mm-hmm. but you know, if you've never heard a man attacked an interverbal, and then when I said autoclitic, you know, eyes pop. Oh, yeah, right. Um, right? <laughs> over the edge. Over the edge. She's getting advanced here. Yes. <laughs> Just demystifying it. So that now, now we can talk the same language, and I know how to interpret what you're saying. And if I don't, it's okay for me to say, hey, can you explain that to me? Mm-hmm. Because that's how you go forward. That's how you learn from your colleagues. Yeah. And that's what we've got to do. Absolutely. So do you think like your one, your number one strategy, it seems to me, is keeping the lines of communication open is very important. And that's easy when things are going well, it's, it's it's harder when things are not going as well. And I do think that's hard as a school-based SLP too, where if you have a student and things are going very poorly for the student, that at times can be a district's time to say, okay, we need a BCBA. And then the right. BCBA comes in and they are looking at everybody's items with a magnifying glass. And I think that that can be a stressful situation too, because what I always tell my BCBA, future BCBA students, I have a a company called Supervision Academy where we provide supervision. And then I also teach the ethics class here at Kent State. But I always say, BCBAs are not called in typically when things are going really well. Now, there's going to be districts. The district I worked in for 10 years, great. We had BCBAs. We had the means to have BCBAs in antecedently for good measure for all the students who needed it. But a lot of districts do not do that. And so when somebody comes in, it's not a warm and fuzzy type of meeting. So it can be hard in those times to communicate. But it seems like that is a running theme in your collaborative strategies, would you say? I would. And, you know, I would tell anyone who was in that situation, you know, what what do we tell SLPs when they have a new client? What do we tell BCBAs or RBTs when they have a new client? Pair first. Mm 
you know what? We need to do that too. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're on limited time and all of our schedules are crazy busy. But you know what? Take a couple minutes. Hey, how long have you been at BCBA? What's your favorite part of your practice? You know, I am more than happy to talk to you about anything that's part of their speech and language goals and their 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 evaluation. Do you live here in town? Ta- take the time to pair to show your interest. It goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Make a connection, and then you know what? If there is some disagreement in how to move forward, it smooths those edges. Because this isn't your first conversation. You've you've already talked about how long you've been doing this and and what your favorite part is. Take the time to do it. It's 30 seconds. Yeah, I love that. So good. Such a good conversation today. So Lynn, we're great. Thanks thanks for coming on. It's great to finally meet. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they, they find out that or reach out to you with a question if they have one? So the best way to reach out to me is through my email. Um, lynn.dudek at asdslp.com. Wonderful. That's, that's my private practice name as well. And uh, that's the easiest way to get me. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was great to meet you. Oh, thank you. It was lovely to meet you. This was a great time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.